The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tung. This program will provide the groundwork you need to advance your awareness and be involved in the approaching transformation in consciousness. Now, your host, Peter Tung. Hello and welcome to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation and I'm your host, Peter Tung. Thank you for joining us today. The intention in these episodes is to give you insights into how the planet is shifting in frequency and vibration to a new level of awareness and how you can be part of this grand awakening. And I'm absolutely delighted to welcome to the show today Anthony Thorley, who is an expert in landscape zodiacs. And as we are working our way through our own landscape zodiac here in Victoria, it's a wonderful opportunity for us to connect together with Anthony's work in England and also to learn much more about the subtleties of the landscape zodiac. So, Anthony, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Peter. It's lovely to join you. Yeah, yeah. So perhaps you could actually start off by giving our listeners a little bit of an insight in a general overview of the landscape zodiac and what it actually is. Yeah, well, it's it's an extraordinary thing, really. I mean, it's... You've got to imagine the countryside, um, you know, the land wherever you are. And um, a landscape zodiac, it's, it's where there's a representation of the signs of the zodiac and the symbolism associated with the signs of the zodiac actually represented in the landscape. So literally, if you look down from the air, say at 5,000 feet from a small spotter plane, you could see the effigy of, say, Cancer the Crab or Leo the Lion or towards the bull, it would be drawn out in the field patterns and stream patterns and the patterns of the woods and the, the terrain. It could be in the desert, it could be in forest land, it could be wherever. And there it is. It just sits on the ground, the 12 signs. And they may be say, 30 miles round in a circle. They may be 15 miles across or even maybe 60 miles across. And um, the question is, how do they get there? Who, you know, who made them and what are they about? And what happens if you, say, live on one? Does, does anything happen related to the sign? And so on and so forth. So they're places of kind of paradox and mystery and absolutely intriguing. So that's broadly what they are. And I don't know of any specifically in North America except the one that you're kind of investigating in, in Victoria at the moment. And uh, paradox is a really good word to use, isn't it? Because there's all sorts of, of aspects to it that, that uh, create some interesting uh, ins and outs and inversions and upside downs. And uh, it's, 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 a, it's a wonderful thing to be involved in, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Because um, what happens with the landscape zodiac is that, you know, it's not just like a map on the ground. For instance, you know, you could um, 
find yourself living next to, I don't know, a sports ground or something, and it's got a big kind of footprint on the ground. You could see it from the air. You might live around it. You know, a football ground, a football ground, it's a square on the ground. It's got a shape. A landscape, zodiac effigy is going to be maybe two miles by one and a half miles, and it's going to be in the shape of an animal, and there'll be one of the signs of the zodiac anyway, and it's going to have housing on it and roads and forests and goodness knows what. And then strange things happen. If you get involved in um, exploring this place on the landscape, you find that all kinds of extraordinary coincidences, synchronicities, as we we call them, start to happen. Um, You kind of find, for instance, if you're um, on the Leo figure, in England, you're very likely going to find um, a public house, a drinking place, a hotel called the Red Lion, and um, you know, and then you you kind of go in the bar of the of the pub, and you find there's a stuffed lion's head on the on the wall, and then you find um, I'm exaggerating this a little bit, but you you know, you literally find that there's a very famous ex-circus lion tamer lives out down the road. <laughs> He doesn't even know that he's living on a Leo figure because, you know, most people don't know about this. It's pretty esoteric and secret. But, you know, you, you find that there are these coincidences, and they're very real. i just give you an example. Many years ago, um, I discovered, um, or rather it was revealed to me, a kind of uh, huge landscape zodiac in the north of England on the Scottish border, And I literally, I and about three other people were the only people in existence who knew about this thing. I'd worked it out on the map. I had had one copy of the map. Nobody else knew about it. And one day I was driving along on the Scorpio figure, the figure of the scorpion, and I was driving along near its tail where the spike is going to be on the scorpion's tail. I'm driving along, and there in front of me, uh, as I'm driving along, I see a sign for a pottery, the new pottery. And my wife and I look at each other and say, oh, we'll go in there. We haven't seen this before. So we get out of the car, go in the pottery, kind of craft by the road like you get all over North America. And uh, we go in, and there are these wonderful pots, beautiful things. But the thing that really strikes us is these pottery dragons, which the guy is making in the potter. And they've got an incredible spike on the end of the tail, just like a scorpion. In fact, they look like scorpions. So I kind of sidle across to the potter and say, hello, we haven't been here before uh, for new pottery. And he said, yeah, I've just come up from the south of England. I've only been working here a couple of months. And I said, well, these, these dragons, they're really something. These uh, dragons with the spikes on the tail. And he said, I know. It's so strange. I've never made them before. I've only made them since I've come up here. And do you know they're my best seller and they're getting me out of debt? And I didn't say, well, I'm not surprised you're living on the scorpion. You're getting all the scorpion energy. No, I didn't say that because I didn't want to kind of get into a long philosophical conversation which I couldn't answer, you know? So we yeah, looked yeah. there and went out. And those are the kind of stories which you, I have several of them, I could bore you all night or morning or afternoon <laughs> with uh, more of these, you know, but they are mind-blowing. I just must tell you the best of the lot, just to okay. kind of whet your appetite. We've been having lions. Okay. So I was talking to a lady called Sheila Jeffries, who's a friend of mine, who discovered a landscape zodiac in Cornwall. That's in southwest England, right on the end, pointing out into the Atlantic, nearer the States than anywhere else, really. 
And um, she had discovered this um, zodiac um, with her farmer husband. They, they farmed land. She discovered the lion first. It's often the first sign that comes out, it kind of reveals itself first. And um, she and her husband have got really heavily into this. They've researched in the local library. They've been talked to local people. They've got all the folklore about the lion and goodness knows what in the area. And it's all mind-blowing because there's no lions in Cornwall. That's, that's true. Not for hundreds of thousands of years anyway. And then one day when they're in their farm, they look down in the yard and they can't believe it. There is a lion, a real lion, just standing by one of their farm buildings. Now, there were no lions in England, I'm telling you, except in zoos. And, of course, the first thing was, you know, this must be an escape. And how did it got there? So, you know, they were, they were just shattered. And they sort of went downstairs and opened the door. And then it sort of saw them, and it moved off around the side of the farm building. And then it vanished. The lion had disappeared. It just wasn't there. And they looked at each other and thought, wow, what's this? And then they went across to the farm building, and there were the paw prints in the soft mud of the lion. But wow. no, physical, no physical lion. It had gone. So they made a cast of the paw prints, and they took it to Southampton University in England, where the Department of Zoology identified it as a lion print. But this was not one of your normal lions. This was a, a dematerializing lion that had come out of another dimension, transiently become material, had weight, was real, and then vanished. Like Sasquatches and Bigfoots do in North America, you know? <laughs> That's incredible. Same, same sort of phenomenon. Well, these are strange things that can happen on, on the landscape zodiac. And we, we actually have a really good example, too, where in our Taurus, uh, there's a church which actually is called St. Luke's Church, and the symbol mm -hmm. of that church is a bull's head, uh, with a with a halo around it, yeah. <laughs> it's again. And there's actually a carving. There's a carving of a of a ball in the stump of a tree just down the road. Again, in the same uh, in the same effigy. And again, so so one of the things we need to talk about actually, Anthony, is what is what causes this. How, what, the synchronicities and the and the and the sculpting the scorpion in you know in in the pottery. What what makes that happen? How does that work? Well, I think if I had the answer, I'd. I'd have a Nobel Prize, you know? Um, I don't know the answer, but, you know, we, we have to kind of presume very, very cautiously, and it's a very exciting presumption, that somehow consciousness is organizing this. I mean, you know, you have to say, well, who's doing it? In England, the landscape zodiacs that I've studied, and there are about 40 or 50 in the country altogether, they're, they're very, very fascinating because... They're nearly all modern discoveries. The people who found them, um, starting off with the most famous of these, who was a lady called Catherine Maltwood, who founded the Glastonbury Zodiac, and she discovered this in 1917. But nobody discovered any Zodiacs before her, and they weren't written down about or even speculated about before about 1880. There's no history in England at all of landscape zodiacs existing before Catherine Marwood's discovery in 1917. Now, a lot of people would like to believe that these zodiacs have been sitting around from time immemorial, and they were laid down by the, I don't know who, you know, the Romans, the Saxons, the, the Normans, the whoever. But there's no 
historical evidence as any of them were. But there is historical evidence that they existed in form, part form anyway, um, way back hundreds of years. And then you're talking thousands of years. You're talking about the geology of streams and rivers that make up, say, the shape of a lion's head. It's done by a river. And the geologists will say, well, that river wasn't changed like that until 8,000, 10,000, 15,000 years ago. So how could something 15,000 years ago be setting up this creature's head? And then what's happened since? That's really the kind of question you know you have to answer when you, you ask, like you just asked me, well, what causes these things? So there's no doubt in my mind that they kind of all come together in an organized form, but not probably until the you know, the last 150 years, the famous Glastonbury Zodiac, a lot of it was underwater because it's near the sea, and um, the, the land roundabout was only grain for agriculture in, in the 18th century, a couple of hundred years ago. So say that the figures of the Glastonbury Zodiac in Somerset, England, were actually present um, 100 years ago is wrong. They didn't even show up until about 150 years ago. And then a very, very bright, sharp, and extraordinary lady sculptress, Catherine Maltwood. She then um, looked at the map and knew the land extremely well, and she had a kind of moment, a sort of vision, where one, you know, she suddenly saw the shape of a lion in, on the map in the landscape, and it kind of almost shouted at her from the paper of map. And that's what seems to happen. I mean, another intriguing phenomenon is, you know, I recently emailed somebody who'd been working on a landscape zodiac in Lincolnshire in mid-Northern England on the East Coast, and I was very excited to make contact with him. His name was Anthony as well. That was one of the things that excited me. And I said to him, um, when did you discover the Lincolnshire zodiac? And he, he emailed me back and said, I didn't discover the, the uh, Lincolnshire zodiac. It discovered me. And that's what a lot of people say. It's like as if the land... Anthony, we're actually coming up to our first break. It's a great time to break, and we'll come back and return and talk much more about this absolutely fascinating subject. It's Peter Tung for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to MyHeartCenteredJourney.com for more information. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be extraordinary. Be the change. listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. 
If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tung. just want to remind you to go to my website, www.petertung.com, where my uh, March newsletter has just come out, and I've written an article on our Aquarius a workshop, as well as uh, looking at, um, in the main article, the portals to paradise, which is very closely connected to and connected with the energy and the work that is being done with the landscape zodiacs around the world. And also myheartcenteredjourney.com, uh, where we have our Ambassadors of Light class. And the next one will be uh, when I return from Europe, actually, on Thursday, March the 15th at 5.30, where, I, again, I'll be talking about uh, my adventures and what, and what has taken place and our further understanding of what is happening in the world of consciousness today, which is really, really exciting. And I have with me today Anthony Thorley, who knows a great deal about these landscape zodiacs and is regaling us with a wonderful insight into them. So, Anthony, what I'd love to ask you now is, is, is to help our listeners understand, once you um, acknowledge or see or realize or the landscape zodiac comes up and hits you in the face, <laughs> How do you actually work with it? What do you actually do to, to get an understanding of what this is really all about? Well, I mean, there are lots of things you can do. I mean, you, it, it, it is quite extraordinary, really. I mean, one of the things that um, people say who uh, have some awareness of the landscape zodiac, like people who live around the town of Glastonbury in, uh, in Somerset, which got a population of seven or 8,000 people, but there's a lot of very, very spiritually conscious people who live there. Um, and uh, they would tell you that their lives are affected personally um, by the sign that they're living on. So, you know, they might uh, find they're living on a particular sign, and then, you know, their, their girlfriend is a Leo, and, um, you know, and um, then they have to move to, say, the Leo sign with this new girlfriend, and they find that she and he get on much better when they've moved to another sign on the landscape, which is, you know, it's kind of crazy. <laughs> it's just that kind of thing. But I've heard stories like that over the last 20 years, and that made me start to realize, well, maybe you could take people into the landscape and, um, and, and kind of immerse them in the energy of the sign. And, uh, and maybe facilitate, um, you know, spiritual growth, insight, and so on and so forth. Now, before I got into this, the, the stuff that I'm doing now full-time, for 40 years I was a psychiatrist in England working in the National Health Service and, you know, dealing with people with troubled minds and backgrounds and so on, but fascinated by developmental psychology and helping people with psychotherapy and so on. And I realized that... In the far past, um, people who um, needed help or needed to be assisted in their personal journey of development, spiritual and psychological, would often make a journey. Today, I mean, we would call that a pilgrimage. And the pilgrimage in the landscape would be, you know, tough and um, hard and like big pilgrimages are. I mean, if you walk across Europe to go to Jerusalem, in medieval times, rather than fly, as you would today, um, it's a tough journey. And all the hardships, all the adventures, all the energies you pass through, all the companions you have on the journey, they're going to change your life. And I was very fascinated by the idea of 
taking people into kind of hot spots in the landscape and uh, and helping them to grow. And I was doing this actually for some years with groups and people before I actually got particularly interested in Zodiac. And then I thought, wow, if we could take people around the Zodiac uh, in terms of walking on these figures, finding the symbolism, like the church you told me with this and Luke Paul and so on, but take them to churches like that, take them to see places like what is it like to find the place which is the bull's eye? What happens if you actually, you know, camp for the night on the bull's eye? It must be pretty affecting. Anyway, cutting a long story short, this is what um, I and my friend John Wordsworth do in a series of workshops around the year. We take a weekend for each sign of the zodiac. We start off with Aries at the beginning of the astrological developmental year, the pioneering sign of um, Aries, the ram, and we, we go right round the whole 12 um, weekends of the year in order as they come up um, through the calendar until we finish off with Pisces, which we've literally just done um, in the last weekend. And if you take a party of five or six people through this process, um, whereby you're visiting in consciousness these signs, these special pilgrimage walks around the key sacred place hotspots, and spend the day before that walk, um, you know, actually doing a lot of workshop exercises and, and, and kind of embodied astrological drama and all this kind of stuff, and really getting into it, not psychological talk, talk and talk at all, but experiential, all experiential, very, very, in a sense, non-verbal. Um, you know, lots of role play and dressing up and different kinds of, of um, costumes and music, huge amount of music we use and, and so on. If you immerse a whole weekend in the Taurus energy or the lion energy and then go and walk that in the landscape on a zodiac, you get changing people. So you actually just did your Pisces this last weekend. So just give us a, a very quick summary of what, what happened and what, what you sense for Pisces this year in your, in your walk in, and well, in your workshop. I mean, yeah, well, I mean, the workshop, we, we, had it, we just had it in one day. We've been doing it in weekends for three years. But we decided to have just um, a year of one days, which we're doing at the moment. And then we're going to have two big residential weeks in 2013. So we're sort of changing the format a bit. Yeah, well, we, we met um, um, kind of about 12 of us, and then we, um, we we had a kind of a sharing and a consideration of Pisces, the basic energy, all kind of going around the circle. And we all knew each other anyway. We were regulars, as it were. And then we had a very marvelous kind of presentation by John, with a sort of like a PowerPoint presentation with film and so on, of all the myths and all the kind of energy stories of Pisces. Um, how they come up in, in the Greek myths and um, in, in, in various kind of traditions. And, you know, that means going into things in quite some detail, like we take the story of Odysseus coming back from the Trojan Wars. Now, he is a Piscean figure. He's a hero, but he's got that capacity to sort of swim both ways. He's a quite, quite a crafty person, and uh, he's got the kind of mysticism and the desire to go to the edge of experience. You know, there's the famous situation where he wants to um, uh, experience the sound of the sirens when they're singing. He's an extraordinarily seductive 
lost all women who, who kind of, um, you know, draw the sailors to the rocks and all this kind of stuff. And because it's Poseidon, the water god, who's organizing this as Pisces again, of course. And so what, he, what does he do? He says to all his rowers, the Greek rowers, we'll put wax in your ears so you can't hear the sounds, but I want to experience this ultimate blissful experience of hearing these women sing. So he has himself lashed to the mast so he can hear the women, but he's going to get through safely. And that kind of duality of going right to the edge, but at the same time being safe, is something that Pisceans do. So we sort of considered all that for about an hour with a wonderful presentation from John. Then we did a very interesting kind of exercise with music in which um, we all were literally, um, you know how the, um, the Piscean fishes, there's two fishes and they're joined by a kind of cord or a band between them. So you can't get one fish swimming very far before it's tugged by the other one going in another direction. And that's a very Piscean quality, that kind of duality. So we all had a partner and um, tied a cord around our waist, and we each had a partner, and we then went into a free dance to some really super music and uh, experienced the feel of the tug, quite literally, in the dance. So we kind of experienced that and did that for about 20 minutes and then contemplated you know, what that was all about. Then we had a break, and then we um, had a presentation from me, and I did a whole presentation about esoteric Piscean things from all over the world. How many of our civilizations started off with fishtail creatures like Chinese civilization? They have two fishtail creatures that started them off. And then the Dogon story about you know, the fish people who came from Syria. And then I dealt with Vishnu, the fish god, and all the fishes of mermaids and mermans, and all kind of Piscean stuff, rich, rich symbolism. And we had about 45 minutes of that. And I introduced the walk with maps and things. I always prepare and detail a walk, which is a walk in a Piscean landscape. And we actually walk on three fishes. There are actually three fishes in the landscape, and we walk on them. And, um, and we had some lunch, and then we went out and did the walk. And the interesting thing was it absolutely rained. It teemed down with the rain all morning. <laughs> and then, you know, the energy of the group got more and more powerful, and then all the clouds just cleared. And it was a very cold, windy day terribly hard wind blowing in from the Atlantic. But um, we had clear blue skies, and it was very exhilarating, and we walked around this incredible walk for three hours in which we walk on a, an ancient salmon. We go to the, the mound associated with St. Bride from Ireland, it, it, and, and then finally coming back on a hill called Wirial Hill where Joseph of Arimathea is supposed to have landed and planted the holy thorn. Weary all with his friends, and you know the last bit we walked down is called Fish's Hill, and I mean it is literally a fish. But why it's called Fish's Hill is, is a mystery. It's one of those coincidences. And by the time you get home, what we do, we got back, and then we all had a glass of wine, which was made by a lady who lives on the zodiac, and she makes wine for each sign of the zodiac. It was made from blueberries from the hill. Uh, of the fish, and she, she, she bottles these wines, so we offer that wine. Now is the end of our time. <laughs> what a wonderful, what a wonderful idea! I like, I like the glass of wine at the end, Anthony. We're coming yeah, up to our, our second break, and actually, when we come back, I'm going to tell you a couple of 
story from our, our Pisces this weekend because they tie in beautifully with yours. So I'll, I'll just do that when we return. It's been right. a song for awakening to conscious co-creation. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to MyHeartCenteredJourney.com for more information. Be visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. It's Peter Tong, your host, and I have with me today Anthony Thorley, who's just given us a really nice insight into their Pisces workshop that took place this last weekend. Well, our Pisces workshop took place this weekend, last weekend as well, and we had a really interesting time as well. We actually started out on what is the equivalent for us of Glastonbury Tour, which is right on the edge of Aquarius and Pisces, and we decided, Anthony, to let everybody go into their own space and just go on their own pilgrimage across the landscape and, and merge and dissolve in and reconfigure and we had a beautiful morning. Uh, we've had some pretty rough weather here as well, and it was a, just a perfect morning, quite, quite pleasant and warm. Then we had our, our midday inside discussion, and then in the afternoon we, we, we um, have ceremonial crystal burials of Lemurian seed crystals at the end of our day, and we actually launched our shaman uh, out into the ocean on a little kayak, and she went out, and, and uh, it was now pouring with rain as well, very gently, but pouring with rain. But the, the neat thing you just mentioned was the tug, because she went out uh, on a kayak. Because of the weather, we kept her on a rope. So she had the silver cord attached to the back of the boat. And then when she got yeah. out to the actual spot where she was going to drop the crystal, she dropped the crystal, and then we literally pulled her back in on the on the cord. And she said when she came back in, she just felt this freedom and this oneness with all that was. And when she was out there on the ocean in this stillness and this gentle pouring rain, and um, when she got the, the, the signal to us, she just felt this tug of returning back to safety <laughs> somewhat reluctantly on her way back into shore. So it was a, it was a really interesting experience for her and, and for us. But there's, some really, there's, there's such wonderful synchronicity involved, isn't there? It's very interesting, Peter, you're telling me that because um, we do another exercise, uh, which uh, was, again, another dance in which we kind of contemplated um, something that we would, we would really wish to kind of, uh, you know, give away, something quite precious for us, something quite difficult to give away, but something where we would share part of ourselves. Anyway, we did this, 
And we ended up writing this particular quality down, whatever it might be, onto a piece of cardboard which had been cut into the shape of a tear. So this was a kind of water bit. And then on our walk, we all had our tears with these special private quiet things that we decided to you know, make an effort to kind of unload in our lives, a kind of baggage. And what we did then is we got to a river um, in, in, in Somerset on, on the um, Pisces figure. This river is a bit special because it's said that King Arthur flung the sword Excalibur into the water just below. So we were at a really historical place. And then we all cast our tears into the river, and they were going to go down into the Atlantic about 12 miles away. It was a very powerful moment where we also made a dedication to the water, and just like you did. Fantastic. <laughs> now, you've also indicated in your discussion that this is more than just the 12 sun signs, that this is connecting into all of the mythologies and, 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 and the energies of uh, the, the 12 pieces, as it were, of the puzzle. Um, which is which is more than just the astrological sun signs. It's the, it's the extended connection to all of the different uh, mythologies and, and, and things that have happened in the world over time, basically. It is. I mean, that's that's the part. You know, the cynics or the skeptics say, oh, well, anybody can look at a map and see a lion. And then they joke and they see a bear or they see a giraffe or they see an antelope and see anything they want to see. Of course, it's possible to do that. I mean, we call that in psychology projection. But that doesn't answer the question of why the Leo figure, not only does it look like a lion, but it's got Leo-type folklore on it. You know, so it's got Leo stories, Leo history. Um, you know, it, it's, it's got a lot more involved. Um, I mean, England's a very, very historical place, as you know, and rich history. But you can't produce stories about lions or scorpions in every field in the country, you know? So there's a very fascinating kind of cohering effect to it. You know, the, the information coheres, and I, I use that term in more academic circumstances where I'm studying this in research. I call it informational coherence because the information about Leo or the information about Taurus coheres together. I and mean, you look at this stickiness, this kind of way it brings together across time over hundreds of years and to some extent across space, and it kind of... It's, it's, it's a blob of Leo energy, and you say, well, how is this happening? Where is it coming from? This isn't me projecting. I can't project these folk stories, these traditions, onto the landscape. They've been there for hundreds of years, nothing to do with me. So how could they possibly get there? And uh, yeah. this, you know, this becomes a real kind of question. And the standard answer that most people give is, oh, well, it must be the kind of mystery traditions. You know, ancient people, they knew about these sort of astrological figures, and they kind of built up this tradition, and then they passed it on to the Knights Templars, and the Knights Templars passed it on to the Rosicrucians, and the Rosicrucians passed it on to the Masons, the Freemasons, and the Freemasons passed it on to the 19th century occult revival, and they passed it on to the 20th century, 21st century New Age. And I just don't buy it. I know that people aren't very good at passing on messages. <laughs> I need yeah. you know? And so although that's the that's the kind of comfortable explanation because it's chronological and it's archaeological historical, you know, it's like as if well that's the logical thing. They must have been telling each other the old families who ruled the kingdoms in the past, they must have all had this as a secret tradition. And the evidence really is that there is no evidence for that. 
And all secret traditions have somebody who spills the beans. You know, all the Freemasonry that we know from the 18th century comes from this enchanted Freemason who went out and said, I'm going to write a book about everything you do in your secret ceremonies. And he did. And we've got those books, and we read them. And that's why we know what goes on in the secret ceremonies, because these disenchanted people wrote about it. And they, you know, they upset the other Freemasons. So the point is that there's always some people going to grasp or leak the story. So we've got a real problem. That explanation of sort of archaeology, um, of chronological construction, just doesn't explain satisfactorily this phenomenon. So what, what causes it? Well, you're going to ask me again, aren't you? I am, yeah, because... Because this is this is a, a, a critical question, and it's, well, and it's this connection of consciousness and synchronicity and causation, yeah. as you okay. call it. Okay. Well, I I don't know what what the answer is, but I'm going to sort of suggest a kind of answer, which oh, you know is pretty controversial. Um, but I, it's interesting that I, I was kind of rather alone saying this two or three years back. But there's more and more people in the Earth Mysteries field, particularly in the UK, seriously considering this. Now, the point about, say, a landscape zodiac, and I've discovered two myself, um, if that's the right word, discover, because they do tend to reveal themselves to you with a kind of positive sense. They shout at you when you're looking at a map in a strange way. So the one thing that's common, really, to them is the consciousness of the discoverer. The only thing that's completely certain is the moment of the discoverer actually seeing and then, you know, constituting the whole zodiac on on the ground. Everything else is just, you know, little bits and pieces like a jigsaw puzzle. So I wondered some years ago whether there was any possibility of the consciousness of that moment, that, you know, that technical word is like an epiphany. It's a kind of revelation, a vision. The consciousness of that moment, could it possibly pass back in time? Could it possibly move back through the centuries so that little bits of that kind of informational coherence that I was talking about in, say, the 21st century would go back in time and influence all the various participant things that have happened to make that physical zodiac? So maybe my thoughts now about a zodiac that I see go back in time and say we've got a farmer in the 16th century, 400 years ago, and he's thinking of digging a new drainage ditch. And he talks with his sons about doing this on his farm. They work a plan out, and they dig the ditch. And it's absolutely perfect for finishing off the nose of the lion, that physical ditch dug 400 years ago. But the guys who are digging it don't know what they're doing. They're just digging a ditch, a good ditch for their farm. But my thoughts have gone back in time and affected their thinking. So, you know, you take that right the way back through geological time to the Big Bang. They're right at the very beginning of everything. Now, this is real pompous egoism at one level, you know, very <laughs> Really, I mean, you know, how dare you imagine that in the 21st century, looking at a map, you could affect the whole constitution and generation of a whole landscape. It's outrageous. And then I started to read quantum theory, and I found that there were serious and revered and considered physicists and theoreticians who were considering this as a way of explaining everything, not just landscapes, but everything. I couldn't believe it when I read this stuff, because this is exactly 
what I'd been kind of suggesting, and I'm no physicist. And then I started to meet other people who were thinking along the same lines. And of course, this is highly controversial, crazy mad, and not acceptable to the vast majority of people. And yet, there are just so many weird things which the only common feature is our own consciousness. So it's kind of like a loop. You know, it's we our consciousness goes back in time to create the very thing that we perceive. And I mean, in a special term for it, it's called backward causation. And, um, you know, it's, it's it's highly controversial and crazy mad. And this is probably part of the interview you should cut out. <laughs> Actually, I'm going to add to it because, I, because of an interesting interview I had a, a few weeks ago, which I'll comment upon uh, when we come back from this break. It's Spirit of Tongue for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. The 7th Wave Channel on The Voice America Network. Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to MyHeartCenteredJourney.com for more information. Invite meaning and inspiration to your life. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You're listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tong. I just want to pick up on what Anthony was talking about, backward causation before the break. My guest in uh, early January, January the 11th actually, was Jim Self, and he was talking about the consciousness of the third, fourth, and fifth dimensions. And he was specifically talking about in the fifth dimensional vibrational frequencies of consciousness, simultaneous time, which is different to present day time, where basically in the moment you are able to pull in from time and space, in this moment from all time and space since time began, which I think is essentially what you're talking about, Anthony, where you create through time and space exactly what you are discovering in your consciousness right now. I think that's right. I mean, I think there's this phenomenon, something like that goes on, and it's very uncomfortable to contemplate because it does sort of shriek at the kind of overinflated ego or, you know, like a walking god or something. You know, who else can create but, you know, god, if you want to look at it that way. But, I mean, um, we have a, a divine presence as, as, as individuals in an extraordinary way. And um, I think that through this kind of, um, you know, I don't know what you want to call it, fifth dimension or whatever, but there's, there are processes here which conventional science and conventional inquiry is uncomfortable about and doesn't really want to look into. 
Um, and, and yet I think our experience tells us that it, it actually happens. And, um, and, and that fascinates me, and that's the kind of thing I'm, I, I, why I'm drawn to landscape zodiacs, uh, you know, because they do confront you with these extraordinary paradoxes, um, and yet they won't go away. They can't be explained away. And um, so it's a, a wonderful area to actually explore causality and reality. This is, you know, what true reality is. So you pull the veils across the sort of three dimensions, you know, length, breadth, depth, and a bit of time that we're in, uh, four sort of three and a half dimensions, and you move beyond that into the dimensions which do also show themselves to us in things like synchronicity, and, and, and then you go on exploring in. You know, the Far East, the, the great traditions of the Far East have used their mind, their thinking, to explore and go so far and here in the West, in psychology and so on, we, we're just beginning to really explore inner space in this kind of way. And I think that's partly what we're contemplated with, you know, what we're confronted with when we look at landscape zodiacs. They are really challenging us to consider what is reality, what is causality, and what is our role in it. And I think that it's telling us that our role is so much more profound. We have a constructive, constituting role and that means we have responsibility. You can't possibly dodge this one. You know, if you're helping to create form through thought, thought precedes form. Um, if we're really into that stuff, that means, you know, we have responsibility for the world as it is. Absolutely. So, um, Anthony, just give us your information. So if any of our listeners want to connect into your work, and they should, because it's great stuff. Uh, how yeah. can people contact you or, or get to look at your work? Well, we have um, a website, www.thealchemicaljourney.com. Um, uh, if you type in alchemicaljourney.com or just alchemicaljourney uh, to Google, you'll find out all about our workshops. And we're planning two long residential workshops um, in 2013. We're going to have two eight-day linked workshops going through the whole Zodiac in one year in two separate weeks, six months apart, one in April, one in October. And the reason we're doing this is we've had so many North American and Australian and African people saying we want to do our work, but they can't come over every single month, obviously. So we're going to compress it all into two one, sort of two eight-day sessions, and we're planning them at the moment. But that's definitely going to be widely advertised in a few um, week's time. We were just talking about it yesterday. Fantastic. Thealchemicaljourney.com. Yeah. Now, Catherine Moore... I have another there. website, Earth Skywalk. Just one word, Earth Skywalk. Just type that in, .com, and you'll find out about pilgrimages and work that uh, my wife, Celia Gunn, and myself uh, run in the West Country of England. And uh, they're all fun because they don't cost anything. They're all free. Fantastic. Uh, to join in. People are always welcome if they're over from the States or North America, Canada, to um, just join in and come to one of our, our, our workshops. They're always very welcome. Well, I'm looking forward to doing that at some point in the future, Anthony. <laughs> yeah. Now, Catherine Maltwood called her, the, her work, uh, or the Landscape Zodiac, the Temple of the Stars. So we should yeah. actually talk about the, the stars and the constellation connection here. Yeah, I didn't really make that point right at the beginning when you asked me what a zodiac was, the representation of these effigies. So that's the common kind of pattern. But the point is that in many zodiacs, not all of them, the, the effigies are actually a projection, a drop-down of the um, 
the ecliptic, that's the um, constellations which the sun passes through in every kind of um, calendar year, the 12 constellations of the zodiac, they can be kind of um, grouped together in a circle when you look at the northern hemisphere astronomical sky. And then you can, you know, you get that on a planetsphere if you've got one of those planetspheres that you look up. Or today it's your smartphone. You just look up and use the right app and now you've got the sky on your smartphone. And when you move it around above you, you can see exactly what the stars are. So if you imagine dropping the picture on your smartphone down onto the ground and that becomes the map, um, that's what happens in a number of these English zodiacs, they are quite remarkable. So you can walk on the stars. The actual places become the different stars. And uh, sometimes the significance of the place you're walking on in physical reality, in terms of the star that it reflects in the sky, is mind-blowing. I mean, the way that the place has become so important. Um, you know, there's a church there, or there's a sacred site there, or there's a, a grove there, or an important tree, or a historical occurrence. And the, again, it's another layer of synchronicity, and you think, wow, it's mind-blowing. How does it occur? How does it take place? That's what we were talking about earlier on. So the stars are often actually reflected on the land. And the website I told you about, Earth Skywalk, which Sigur um, and I run, um, that's just about walking stars. They're all places in the landscape, not always zodiacs, um, that have constellations on the ground and local myths and stories and so on. And we have constructed a whole series of pilgrimage walks around these constellations on the ground. And uh, they are mind-blowing as well. That's another story. So, Anthony, we're coming up fairly close to the end of the show, but I would love you to, to, to just talk a little bit about the impact that this, this pilgrimage, this journey through the landscape has on the people that do it. Well, it's very, very profound. If you go to the Alchemical Journey website, there's a lot of personal statements made to the camera that people who've done it, whose lives have just been completely changed. And one of the things that particularly happens as a result of doing these workshops, particularly if you do them all in order, is that people tap into an incredible rich vein of creativity. And with the creativity comes joy and a kind of you know, elevation of soul, which is quite extraordinary. And so people who have rather miserable or humdrum or even depressed lives just start to cheer up and feel so much better. But the creativity... Um, you know, people start painting, they start making things, they start carving things, like making wine round each sign of the zodiac, which I mentioned earlier on. They're often zodiacal. Among Lady who's um, a singer, a harpist and singer, she developed a whole wonderful set of songs she designed for each sign of the zodiac. And she now has made a CD of this. She goes around giving workshops and talks using the zodiac as a kind of song cycle. And it goes on and on and on. There are people just who've done the course. They just inspire you, and it makes it a wonderfully, you know, wonderful thing to do to see people's lives change. I mean, that's my biggest kick in life is to see people finding joy and happiness. And if I can help them a little bit, I'm so happy myself. It really is a healing and transform transformational process, and also opening up to its creativity. You know, in our landscape work, we have someone who does a poem every every month, and we actually have had a, a fresh sculpting produced every month as well. So we are totally in alignment here with the work we're doing, Anthony. Yeah. And sadly, we're at the end of our show. So thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a well, wonderful Well, thank you so much for having me. And I look forward to seeing you uh, very soon. Yeah, look forward as well.
Take care. Thanks so much indeed, Anthony. I really appreciate this. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, next week I'm going to be away uh, in England. Actually, I'm going to be visiting with Anthony for a day. Um, and, my, and so I'm going to do a, uh, an encore presentation next week of the show I did with Matt Kahn in January. I believe that Matt Kahn is um, a highly evolved being walking the planet today. And I really urge all of you, if you haven't done so already, to listen to that show and realize that when you are listening to Matt speak, there's a vibrational frequency that he is emitting uh, that is coming across as a transmission of energy. And you, when you drop into the space that is created, uh, wonderful things happen, just like when you walk the Landscape Zodiac. I hope you've enjoyed today's show with Anthony Thorley. Have a great week. It's Peter Tung for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. you found this week's show to be enlightening and inspiring please join host peter tongue for another edition of awakening to conscious creation next wednesday at 3 p.m eastern time noon pacific time on seventh wave network Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.